You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I'm so excited to kick off season two, the beginning of 2021. And I'm sure like many of you, we are very excited to say goodbye to 2020 and see what 2021 has to um, potentially hold for us. Fingers crossed that it it meets the expectations that we all had for 2020. Um, And that crashed and burned, (laughs) inevitably. Today, I am pumped to bring this guest to you that I have uh, had the privilege of meeting because of the podcast. And this episode is so appropriately called Let's Play with Jeff Harry. Um, And today, my main intent is to introduce him to you. We share a lot of the same core philosophies. And a lot of the themes we're going to be seeing at the beginning of this season is talking about how we need to bring the element of play back into our workplaces. And that is where Jeff specializes in so many different ways. But enough of me chit-chatting. Jeff, why don't you say hello to the listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited. Um, My name is Jeff Harry. I run an organization called Rediscover Your Play. And uh, what I do is I combine positive psychology and play to help teams and a lot of HR teams um, and team leads to address their most challenging issues using an experiential play method. So dealing with a lot of pain points like how to deal with toxicity in the workplace, how to deal with office politics, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, how to create a more inclusive workplace, how to deal with your inner critic. There are all these ways in which we need to address these really hard issues and we happen to choose to use play as the method to tackle them. And I, you know, just from even just a educational standpoint and the work that I've done, play has definitely been one of the most effective tools out there. Um, And I absolutely love Jeff's website, and I highly encourage you to go to the show notes and check out those links there. Um, One of the things that really caught my attention is you talk about getting people to move away from being serious grownups all the time, Mm. which I totally resonated with me. Um, however, I know that there's um, a huge challenge sometimes because we are serious grownups in the workplace mm-hmm. to convince us to go to this, this idea of moving away from it and to help us move our organizational development work forward. So tell us, like, why is play so effective? How can we increase our buy-in with our leaders who are thinking, no, we, we became adults. We got to be serious grown-ups. This is not the movie Big. We're not all there playing and dancing on big keyboards. <laughs> well, so, so a lot of times when I approach a lot of organizations, they hate using the word play. They find it frivolous. They find it not necessary. And I hear them with that. But when you talk about the word flow, when you talk about that idea of how do we get 
our staff into their zone of genius? How do we get them to get to a state where the difficulty of the task meets their skill level perfectly, where they're doing work where they forget about time and we're investing in that work? That means less turnover. That means better employee engagement and satisfaction at work. And that means you're getting more out of each and every one of your employees. So that's how I approach it a lot of the time. It's just like, how do we create the environment where you can get a lot of your staff more in a state of flow? I love that you talk about and you describe that workplace um, because I often describe that same workplace and most people think it's like a, it's a utopia, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe it does exist. I've seen it exist. And it does, you have to go through these methodologies that are just not traditional. They're not what we, for whatever reason, have been ingrained is what we need to be successful as adults. Right, right. So taking this one step further, you talk about this this focus that you have on unleashing your inner child, um, which I just love the phrasing because I've used that a lot in my in my work too. And also this idea about using it to find your purpose. So mm. one of the questions whenever someone puts purpose out there, because I've heard it talked about a lot in the um, self-help world, the professional, personal mm. development world, is do you believe that everyone has a purpose or should have a purpose? Um, or are there exceptions to that rule? Um, what are your thoughts about that, about this idea of purpose? And is it just for specific people or for everybody? Well, I agree with what Elizabeth Gilbert says, where she, a few years ago, let go of the word of follow your passion, that term, follow your passion, because it puts so much pressure on everyone to be like, you got to find your passion. You got to find your purpose. And she was really more than advocating for follow your curiosity, just follow the things that actually make you more like interested or, you know, fascinated or, you know, that kind of make you come alive. And then I read, I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown's early work, like her gifts of imperfection. And she talks about how when people do the work that makes them come alive, not only is it really great for them, but it gives permission for other people to also do that work, right? It's whole, it's all Howard Thurman's quote of like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. So I'm always asking people, what is that type of work? And it could be many different things. And it might not be your work. It might be some hobbies that you do in order to help you get through your work, right? You know, but the, the challenge of that, of pursuing that, is that you also then have to, you have to be able to like recognize and embrace that nerdy, weird part of you from the past, you know, that inner child, that inner curiosity, so that you can actually tap into what I refer to as play values. Like, what are the things you love to do when you were a kid? Oh, what were the play values that match that? Like I run a workshop with my friend Lauren Yee where called Your Future is Where Your Fun Is, where we actually analyze what people love to do as a kid. She loved playing sardines. It's reverse hide and seek. It's amazing. But what she loved about it was it provided creativity, collaboration, and connection. And she now realizes those play values have to be incorporated in her best work, in her zone of genius work. And then I challenged her as well as a lot of other people that were on the workshop, how do we increase the amount of time that you work on that type of work, your state of flow work? Maybe it's only five to 10%, but 
But even if you're doing that, that has a ripple effect on all the other work that you do, right? You know, I like to start my day making really stupid TikTok videos. Why do I do that? Because it's play for me. It positively primes my mind so that I can see all the other work that I have to do as play opportunities. So how are we doing that at the beginning of our day or throughout the day to make sure that our staff is really um, expanding what it means to love their work and can they even love their work? Wow, I, that this idea of like play values, never heard that before. And that makes so much sense to me. But tell me a little bit more about that. So if I'm sitting here listening and I'm totally bought into this idea that I obviously want to increase focus on those areas, integrating into my work, it will send these positive ripples. If I'm a leader, it's going to send positive ripples to my team. Me wanting to help my team even engage in that play. How do I identify one of those play values to start getting some traction? Like how do I dip into that? Can you tell us, is that like a freebie you can give us? Well, yeah, let's do it with you. Right. So what did you love to do as a kid? What did you love to do? And you can pick any type of play as it really doesn't matter. It's just like, just think of some of your best play memories as a kid and pick one. Um, they were, okay, so my best ones were, I would play pretend uh, pop star. We don't say rock star, Ooh. we say pop star. Yeah. So writing songs, having um, having the whole life. So pretending like being backstage and having the high ego and all that kind of stuff. Like that was totally my, my entire childhood. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, I love that. Okay, so there's like you on stage, it's you backstage, it's the crowd cheering you on. So what is it about that type of play that you loved? Um, I think it was being seen, but mm-hmm. also having something special to offer. Something there, special to offer. And there definitely was the create element. Like I didn't like, there always was the piece of me making the music, me, like Got it. me sharing myself through those songs. Um, and e- even, even as a child, you know, the, the topics changed, you know, right. Um, but and involved accordingly as I got older. But so, so um, let's explore yeah. that. So, is you being creative in a way that is sharing part of who you are, right? It's you being seen. And then, what was the what was the other one? Um, having something uh, special to offer. Something special to offer. Yeah. Right. So, what of what of your work now do you do that has that? Um. Well, that's pretty easy. I, I write, I write books. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, it definitely, oh, you can see, uh, well, you can't see on the podcast, but Jeff can see that I have my books on display behind me. Well, well I see that you write books. Is there another way in which you play? Uh, I speak, mm-hmm. um, and, um, well, in the podcast too, yeah, he's like, he's pointing at, he's like, hello, <laughs> what are we doing right now? Come on. But, but isn't that, <laughs> but isn't that interesting? So that is part yeah. of the reason why you love your work is because you're at least doing three things that take up a certain percentage. And how much of that time speaking, running this podcast and writing takes up your week? I mean, I think I've gotten to a place now where it's almost 50% of my week, which is so that's awesome. so so 50% of your week, you are in what could possibly be considered a state of flow or around that, right? And what we are trying to do a lot at this organization is to help people get to that amount. 
Because when you're doing that amount, oh, work is so much more easy to show yeah. up to. You're so much happier. But if you're doing it only 5%, all we're asking you is, is just like to increase it a little bit. You know, and I was just being I was just being interviewed with someone and someone was like, well, how do I do that tangibly? Well, let's break it out tangibly. Write down everything you do in a given week and break down the hours of it and look at it. Like really look at it and just be like, how many of those hours am I doing work that I either don't need to do? I can delegate, you know, mm -hmm. and how could I put how could I in, instead turn that into my flow work? Right. Yeah. No. And that's absolutely I mean. Um, in the traditional sense, I would say that I've worked with coaches that are all like, Sam, you have too much on your plate. We need to get less. And so when you're making me pick and choose, obviously I wanted to hold on to the stuff that was fun for me. Mm -hmm. I love the approach that you just took us down because I would have tried to identify my, even, even me trying to identify my play values. I don't know if I would have gotten to the place of the these aspects of my work are classified as play I would have been so focused on when you say play we always got to shift it to like personal like it's got to exactly be, yeah I'm binging Netflix or right is, right oh uh, yeah like let me like he wants me to jump on some trampolines or like you know let's bust play ping pong again you know no that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about play the way I define play is any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment where you forget about time, where there isn't a purpose, where you're letting go of results, right? Where you don't have anxiety about the future and you don't have regrets about the past and you're just fully there. So anything that, that makes you feel that way, right? Netflix binge watching can only do that for so long, but when you're making something, something that is really where you can be seen, right? Yeah. Where you are providing value and something that no one else can provide, that's so exciting, right? Like you're like, mm, that's so scrumptious. <laughs> so I'm all about helping people to figure out what that is and how they can do more of that work. Because frankly, their companies need them in that space. Their best work is in that space. So um, here I'm going to put on my, my trainer nerdy brain uh, mm -hmm. and get your insight on this. Um, so we did see a movement happening with play. Most of it happened around uh, the fish philosophy with the uh, fish market out in Seattle. Yep. And they would engage in these play kind of mentalities. Uh, if you don't know, look it up, Google it. It was a big thing. Um, and so what we found is people doing that uh, and engaging in play where like they'll have like team days um, uh -huh. where they're, they're physically playing like games. Um, and so we have that whole aspect still happening. Uh, when I think about play, um, it's more of a intentional um, tool that's technically used in the classroom as we're facilitating other kind of educational um, mm -hmm. outcomes um, which then when I try to migrate those, I get the pushback of you're going to spend half an hour playing some stupid game. <laughs> so yeah. tell me in your world and in the work that you do, um, what are your thoughts? Do you get calls to go do those days where you like give us a fitness boot camp kind of thing uh -huh. um, versus I'm giving you a training intervention that I'm designing and I maybe you, do you integrate those play concepts in there? What is the ratio that they could expect to be playing? And do you get pushback on the value that's associated with that? Just looking at it from a design perspective. I know it's really right, loaded, right. but my nerd just went. Bleh. No, no, that's the, the, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, I did team building events for like a decade. Right. And my biggest issue with a lot of team building events was 
companies would ask us, you know, we want to be creative. We want to collaborate. We want to take risks. And they would have it all on the wall, right? All those posters that say all these amazing things. And uh, um, the, the environment wasn't fun. The environment wasn't playful at all. Like, so we wouldn't be able to do any of that or we could run this fun thing and we'd leave and they'd go back to doing whatever they were going to do before. Right. So the main reason I even created rediscover your play was we can't actually play until we address these issues. Right. And, and that means actually creating a safe environment for us to play. And my play mentor, Gwen Gordon talks a lot about this where you can't play until you soothe yourself until you know how to calm yourself. If you notice, you have some of your best ideas in the shower because you're calm, right? And a lot of people don't realize that the way in which they soothe themselves is based off of the person that took care of them the most, that nurtured them the most. So they adopt that level of, of care. So if you have someone that had a lot of anxiety, then you take that on as well. So how do you do that in the workplace is we have to first figure out how to calm down the situation right and how to you know provide levity to it like lauren and I, lauren and i run this workshop around office politic bs where we're like we we make a scapegoat and we literally have a stuffed animal scapegoat where everyone's blaming that scapegoat you know like because it's it's the same absurdity when you are blaming another person for for some action they did and you're blaming them not like the action but you're blaming them right so we point out a lot of the ridiculousness that is happening first calm and soothe the situation before we actually get into the real role model play right a lot of role playing so when we're doing our dealing with with toxicity at work and i don't know if i can swear on this but it's also called dealing with a holes at work through play that's the name of the workshop that we did it that we were going to do at south by southwest and we did an inbound and we did in australia um, and we had a lot of people crying. We had a lot of people laughing and we had a lot of people feeling connected to one another because a lot of time in a lot of these workshops, people just want to know that they are not alone, right? That they are, that they've quit jobs because of a toxic person. And then when you say, Hey, by the way, Sherm did a study in October, 2019 saying $223 billion was lost by fortune 500 companies due to toxicity in the last five years. And that's only the companies that that were willing to admit of a toxic person that it's just like, Oh, I'm validated. Oh, I'm not alone. And then it's just like, okay, well then let's experience what's it like to be that toxic person? What's it like to be that a-hole, right? And then they play that out and it's kind of funny and also ridiculous. And some people really like the power and others are like, oh, I hate this. And then we play out what it's like to actually have that conversation. How would I have that conversation with Chad? What would I say to Chad when Chad's being super rude to me? Let's play out different scenarios and feel how awkward that is so that we get a lot of practice so that when this workshop is over, we actually have the bravery and the tenacity on the, and the audacity to go out and actually do it. Because we don't want to run a workshop if we don't have any action that comes from this, right? But I think, and, and I would love to hear what your HR listeners and you have to say about this, but I don't think we give our employees enough time to practice. Like, like 
like in uh, sports, they practice all week preparing, right? In NASCAR, there is a coach in your ear for three hours telling you the same things they did during practice all week. We don't have any of that. We just are like, we're going to promote this person because they're a really good worker and be like, all right, go manage. And they're horrible at managing, right? They don't have any clue, you know, or just like, yeah, hey, HR staffer, go fire this person. I don't know how to fire this person. I don't know how to create a safe space and also let this person go at the same time. Like, it's amazing how little practice we give people. So all of our workshops about, are about practicing the hard things that a lot of times people avoid. Yeah. And I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I would even take it one step further, like hiring. Like we, we go, we have shortened the process of getting you on board and shove you into the organization. And then we're like, what do you mean you want to leave in, in six months? Like <laughs> what, what's happening here? Like retention, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. So I guess my last question is when you're talking about these workshops and I'm, I'm just like, I'm pitching like, I'm helping sell you because all the things that people are always like, well, what about this? I'm just like, I'm going to just ask Jeff now. And so you'll just know. Um, So uh, when you talk about your play and practice, Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking in my head, all right, so you're like role playing. Mm -hmm. How do you, my people won't do that. You're telling me that I could, I could hire you and you're going to create enough of a safe place that they're going to actually practice with you. So is that, and true masterful facilitators can and if you are picking up any of the energy coming off of Jeff, uh, I I have no doubt that he possibly can create that space f- fairly quickly and hold it for people. If you've got people crying and in the trainer world, when people cry, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we like we did something special today when we are got you a safe space to be emotional like that and uh, and release. So just talk to me a little bit about the role plays and do you run into hurdles with that? And if not. Um, why do you think your role plays are successful than when a leader picks up a book and is like, we're going to (laughs) practice? I think because, you know, I've been doing it for so long, right? You know, the, the, the dealing with toxicity at work workshop, I run it with my uh, colleague, Gary Ware, who's an improv, improvisationalist and an an improv actor. Um, And we are all about reading the room and knowing when it's, when we're ready, right? If, if they're not ready, then we don't do go there, right? Then we'll play something else or do something else to create more of that safe space. Some teams, like I was just doing something for a biotech company, they want to hear a lot of the science behind it first. Let's break down the science. All right, you want to break down the science of flow? Let me break, let me tell you about you know, transient hypofrontality and how your prefrontal cortex shuts down a little bit. And then what happens is that your inner critic actually starts to shut down and your implicit mind increases, which causes your creativity to all of a sudden blossom. And then you start to see all of these opportunities because you're not fixated on one result. You have a growth oriented mindset. And then guess what? You get a dopamine hit. And when you get that dopamine hit, all of a sudden you're much more curious. So we're like trying to create that space where people feel that and then are vibing with that before we actually get into something that's really hard. And then if they're just not ready, then we just don't ask them. You know, I run a workshop called playing with your inner critic, where we actually have people embody what their inner critic is right? We, we have them write down what their inner critic sounds like. 
what it looks like and we and what it says to you and then we have them name it you know i learned this from my friend marcia shandor um and then they act it out right and some people are love it you know like i'm gar my inner critics gargamel so he comes out and he's like you're an imposter you're never going to be successful you're always going to be alone like all the mean things right all the stuff right? And then people are walking around acting like their inner critic. There's certain people that aren't ready to do that. They're just not. It's too close to them. So what we say to them is, hey, if you don't feel like playing in this part, but you still want to talk to your inner critic, here's a safe space in the back. Go do whatever you want to do. And if you want to join in, you can. Because the experience of play, as again, Gwen Gordon says, is you have the opportunity to play or not play. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone has to play. I think what, what is so exhausting about team building events is everyone's forced to do it. You have to do it. And you're going to have to have fun. Is everybody ready to have fun? You know what is kryptonite to a kid when an adult comes? Is everybody having fun over here? Hey, how's the fun happening? And then it all goes away. So what we do is we give people the freedom. There's a playground for you to play in. But if you're not ready, then that's totally fine. Just observe from the outside and learn. And then when you're ready, jump in. And if you're not the whole time, you can just observe because, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard where you are addressing really tough issues, right. That get to the core of who you are. That might even get to some of your trauma from like high school age, right. You know, a lot of the stuff that we didn't deal with in high school is affecting us now. And that's why we're having certain petty arguments, you know, because we weren't able to deal with Chad in sophomore year. So it's just like, yo, dude, let's explore that. And then, and, and we're open to however you want to show up. Yeah. So I like, you know, I love having these kinds of conversations. You know, one of the biggest challenges I see for a lot of HR professionals is when they have to go find a solution and they're talking to trainers and trying to get an idea of, what what they need uh, for their organization, you know, what to expect. So like if you go in, if you go into a training intervention or you're you're sneaking around and checking on it and you see someone sitting by the on, on the on the sidelines does not mean that they were not cooperating or right. not engaging. Sometimes right. those people have the most powerful outcomes. Right. Um, and knowing that, you know, that freedom element is really key. Um, right. And so and I, I yeah. Go ahead. Oh, and well, no, one thing that came up is I was once attending uh, my friend Gary's, uh, he's another play person, Gary Ware's workshop with uh, another friend of mine, Amy Angeli, and they were running this workshop that was all about tapping into your play, you know, you know, just through the improv world, right? And this person was sitting on the sidelines and I came up to her and I go, oh, how are you doing? And she goes, I hate it. I hate this. I hate everything about this workshop. And then, but she stayed, she didn't leave. And then at the end of the workshop, I was like, so how did it go? Like, you know, you hung out and she goes, yes, I learned something. <laughs> like, like she was still not wanting to give up, but she was like, yes, I learned it. And then she was was so committed because she had that experience to go to so many other play workshops because of this. So I think a lot of times we have to recognize where are people at and, you know, how do we make progress? Because not everyone's going to make progress in the same way. And it's all, it's not all going to look the same. Yeah. So I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I just think that that's worthy to share because the work that you're doing, um, it, it, it's a special kind of work and you are, 
you're making it fun and you're making somebody release and pull and do work that we never, ever want to do. We suppress it and stick it down somewhere. And you're trying to make it fun and inviting and safe to have it come out while having an experienced facilitator to handle whatever that is, uh, whether it is laughter, whether it is anger, whether it is sadness, because that is all of those typical emotional releases. So no, that's, that's awesome. So the last thing I wanted to touch on is because your background and you already hinted at it, positive psychology, Mm -hmm. and you do coaching with people with using this positive psychology methodology. Um, It really resonated with me because I get a lot of questions about, you know, managers and coaching, how do they got to coach that this thought that every manager should be a great coach, which um, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. And I used to, when I was in my last corporate job, I got a lot of pressure to design this amazing course that would teach all of them how to be amazing coaches. And I didn't like anything out there. Like I remember going through a bunch of coaching models and I thought these are all crap or they're just so complex and no one's going to understand them. And I don't see the dynamic doing anything good for the organization. Um, Yours, when I was reading just the bits that I could see on the website, felt like a breath of fresh air. So can you just um, tell us a little bit about that kind of coaching model and how it differs from what we're used to um, and why maybe the HR world should maybe explore it for themselves, maybe as a practitioner first, Mm because we got to do that self-care, but then also maybe something that we want to introduce to our leaders. Yeah. So I always like that first say positive psychology is not toxic positivity. There's a huge difference. I think a lot of times people hear positive psychology and they're like, be happy all the time. That's what you should be. And no, that's delusional. Like, like no one wants that. Right. Like that's not helpful. But what positive psychology does is that it, it challenges you to, you know, explore all of the emotions, allow all of the emotions to, to flow through you. So Marty Seligman realized that psychology up until the 1980s specifically focused on what was wrong with people. And he was just like, why is no one studying what's right with people? So he dove in in 19, around 1980 and was like, I'm going to study how to move people instead from depression to neutral. I'm going to explore how to move people from neutral to flourishing. I'm going to focus on what humans are doing right and how do we double down on that? And what I really love about positive psychology, and this has even helped me in my own life, is how you can, it's not very, it's not right or wrong. It's not black or white. It's not should or should not, right? Like my dad passed away in 2015 and four of his brothers showed up. They hadn't seen each other in 30 years. So I was feeling such joy because I'm surrounded by all of my family, you know, but then I felt really guilty because I'm at a funeral of my dad. Shouldn't I feel sad? But like what positive psychology had taught me is just like, I can feel joy and sadness at the same time. I can allow for the complexity and the nuance to come in and then to embrace that like Pixar's inside out, right? And then to really then expand on what that means, right? So a lot of times when I'm coaching someone using positive psychology, I'm not giving them advice. Where do I have the audacity to tell them what they should do? I don't know their world. I remember once coaching someone that was trying to have a baby. I was like, I don't know how to coach that, but I can ask you certain questions, not leading questions, but exploratory questions where we're focused on like, like asking, 
What would you like it to look like? Explain to me how you how you would want to feel. And getting into that mode of like, what is possible? Very future focused type questions and having them guide the conversation and then have us organically almost dance or play to find a solution that neither of us would have been able to get to by ourselves. And that is a lot of the work that I do. That's what I learned at like the Flourishing Center about how to approach it in a really constructive, positive way. Yeah, and so totally a breath, truly a breath of fresh air from what we're used to as corporate coaching as is or executive coaching uh, that's out there. And I love the fact that your emphasis is on this approach. You know, when we're coaching people, we're not supposed to have all the answers. That's what advisors are for, mentors are for. Mm -hmm. That's why we have those other support teams. When we're coaching, it's about, helping people get curious about themselves to find the solutions that they have. Exactly. Um, and so. then I think the other part that, that resonates with me that my friend Angie Cole recently called me out on um, was, you know, how do you look at your work? Do you tie your self-worth to your productivity? And if that's the case, how's 2020 working out for you? You know, did you have to deal with that? Right. And then she even goes a step further where she goes, look, I don't have a to-do list. That's not how I get my work done. I'm able to figure out a different way in which to approach this. And when I would say, yeah, like, you know, I'm not being as consistent as I want to be. She even said this. She was just like, yo, actually, when someone says you have to be consistent, she finds that as very dude bro masculine talk. Like it's like a myth. And it's that that we feel like we have to act like robots and we have to get everything done in a certain way. And what's worth more exploring is how does it work for you? What are the daily habits that make you do your best work? How do you start your day? Do you watch news? Because then you're going to be 20% less productive. Or do you start with play or something else that jazzes you up? So really exploring and helping people not just be curious about themselves, but be curious about when they do their best work and what environment exists so they can do that will help them so much more tremendously than telling them what they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So as with every one of these episodes, our time has flown by uh, and the conversation's way too short. Um, and I'm so grateful that you made time today, Jeff, to join me. And I hope that you will join me again in the future for other kinds of conversations, because mm -hmm. I know that we just kind of introduced you to the world. and would love to dive into one of these topics even more. Um, but before we do that, do you have any final words for our listeners today before we say our goodbyes? Ooh, so can I goodwill hunt your listeners? Yeah, go for oh! it. So I love doing this at the end of stuff. Um, so you're familiar with Goodwill Hunting, right? Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Um, and some of your listeners might not be, but in that's just to let you know, Matt Damon's a genius that can go and work for any think tank in the world. Um, but he's right now working at a construction site with his best friend, Ben Affleck, at the end of the movie. And um, Matt tells Ben, he's like, you know, we're going to raise our kids and watch them play baseball in Foley Field. And Ben turns to him and he's like, if I see you here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm going to kill you. And Matt's like, what, what? I, I, I owe it to myself. And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. 
You owe it to everyone else at this construction site that would give anything to be where you're at, to have what you have. You're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. And I believe that a lot, all of your listeners are sitting on a winning lottery ticket, that there is something or multiple things that actually make them come alive. And Brene Brown says this a lot where like you either pursue the thing that makes you come alive or it eats at you, right? So pursuing that thing, that weird, strange, nerdy thing, whether that's work-related or not work-related, has such an impact on the world, A, because it's some gift that everyone really needs right now, right? But then on top of it, it also gives permission for other people to show up, you know? And I say this a lot, you know, but think about, let's just think about Sam and how what she loved to do as a kid is be like this pop star. And now she started this podcast and this podcast is giving all these people permission to do something super dope because she was willing to jump and take a risk and do something that doesn't fit ROI or any logic, but she just was following her curiosity and play. And because of that, other people are able to show up and it has a ripple effect. So my question to all of your listeners is, how do you want to show up? And are you ready to show up? Yeah. I would love to hear back from the listeners too. I mean, any responses that you have in regards to how any of this fell and resonated with you, um, please feel free to reach out and share them to us on the um, show notes page. Or I know lots of people, lots of listeners like to send me emails and I will definitely share them with Jeff so that he can hear your feedback as well. But thank you again, Jeff. Once again, an amazing conversation. I had no doubt that this was going to be a great time and hopefully we'll see you soon in the future. Hoping so too. Thanks so much for having me. Especially in these uncertain times, addressing the pain points that are getting in the way of your staff doing their best work is vital right now. Rediscover Your Play helps businesses address some of their biggest challenges through experiential play, whether it is dealing with toxicity on your team, cutting through office politics so staff can focus on the work that makes them thrive, creating a more inclusive work environment, or confronting their inner critic. Much of this work is typically avoided in the workplace, but tackling it head-on in a tangible, play-oriented way will not only inspire your staff to be more productive, but also help them find more fulfillment in their work. To set up a discovery call to see if Jeff can help your organization, visit rediscoveryourplay.com.